But it does kind of raise the question of why Biden isn't currently benefiting more from this general pro-democratic tilt in the electorate. There seems to be a disconnect between what voters think of their local and state democratic candidates and what they think of Joe Biden. And that's potentially bad news for Joe Biden. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hey, election fans, welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings you an international perspective on US politics and foreign policy. It is roughly one year until the next American presidential election. That election is shaping up to be a contest between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, a rematch of 2020. And with a year to go, it's time to start reading the tea leaves, trying to figure out how that election might go. There have been different and contrasting signs recently about the answer to that question. On the one hand, there's been a spate of truly atrocious polls for President Joe Biden. On the other hand, just a week ago, Democrats had a great result in state and local elections up and down the country. So what are we to make of this conflicting information? Is it likely that Biden's going to win re-election against Trump? Or are we facing another four years of Donald Trump in the White House? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about in today's episode. Thanks a lot for listening to America Explained. We really hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you do, we hope that you will tell a friend about it or that you will subscribe to our newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes. So. I guess we'll start by talking about the polls. Over the last week or so, there's been quite a few polls carried out trying to figure out how Americans feel about a rematch between Biden and Trump and how they think about those two candidates. Now, these polls were pretty uniformly very bad news for Biden. They showed him losing five crucial swing states, each of which Biden won in 2020. So just to kind of read you some of these figures here, they showed that Biden is behind by 10 points in Nevada, by six points in Georgia, five in Arizona, five in Michigan, and four in Pennsylvania. And he was leading in Wisconsin by just 2%. Now, Biden won all six of those swing states last time, and he can't win the presidency without winning most, if not all, of those states. So it's really bad news that he's between like 3 and 10% behind in five of them. We also see not just that in these particular states Biden is doing badly, but also national polls, which test how various groups think about him, also show that he's kind of in trouble right now. So voters under 30 favor Biden by just 1%, even though he crushed Trump with that demographic last time around. Biden's lead among black and Hispanic voters is also way down. And also 71% of Americans say that Biden is too old, while only 39% say the same about Trump, even though there's only a few years separating them. Also, when particular issues are polled, like the economy or national security or immigration, we find again and again that Trump leads Biden in in Americans' perception of how well the two men would handle these issues. So these 
polls are really bad for Biden. I mean, if the election was held today, then the chances are that Trump would win that election pretty handily. Now, the counter argument to this and the argument for not freaking out right now is to say that, well, actually, the election is not going to be held today. It's going to be held a year from now. And a lot can change in a year. A lot can change in terms of particular events that can happen, which can, you know, reshape the narrative and make voters focus on different issues and increase the salience of particular policy priorities. But also between now and next November, there's going to be an election campaign, a very, very long election campaign. It takes pretty much a year. It begins with the primary in January, the Republican primary, where we are going to see Donald Trump. Trump suddenly become the focus, again, of a great deal of media attention, a great deal of critical scrutiny, and Americans are going to start seeing, again, the unfiltered, unvarnished Donald Trump. Now, of course, he's not been completely out of the news cycle over the last few years because we hear about when he gets indicted, which is seemingly every week, but we haven't really seen the media or the public trying to draw a contrast between these two candidates. And that's what a presidential election is always about. It's not just about how people feel about one particular candidate, one particular president. It's how people feel about that choice between the two individuals. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to think that Trump is going to suffer when he comes back into the media glare again. So, for instance, one element of this is that at the moment, people are very focused on the idea that Biden is in cognitive decline. Biden makes a lot of verbal gaffes and he doesn't seem to speak particularly clearly. Now, one thing that people haven't really noticed yet or hasn't really become, I think, the subject of much public commentary is how Trump also seems to be way off compared to four years ago or eight years ago in terms of the way that he speaks and, and kind of mistakes that he's making when he's speaking. So a few times recently, for instance, he's claimed that in 2016, he beat Barack Obama in the election. On another occasion, he said Kim Jong-un was the leader of China. And so Trump is also out there making a lot of verbal gaffes, saying a lot of things that will raise concerns about his mental acuity. He's eight years older than he was in 2016. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to think that he is not as mentally sharp as he was back then. And voters are going to start seeing that. Voters are going to be reintroduced to Donald Trump over the next year. And I think that that on its own can do a lot to create a different, um, people will have different views on that upcoming election. For the last three years, as always happens to every president, the media has been very, very critically focused on Joe Biden, the mistakes he's made, how he speaks. And that, you know, that's the reason why every single president always undergoes a big decline in approval ratings while they're in office, because governing involves compromises. It involves being the guy who's out there every week and every month making these difficult decisions and undergoing critical scrutiny from the media. But when it becomes a contrast between two people and the media conversation becomes less about here are the problems with Joe Biden, and more about here is the contrast between these two men, then I think you will start to see a different conversation. Another thing to bear in mind is that election campaigns involve an awful amount of spending. The campaigns spend money on advertising, so they run TV ad campaigns, 
They advertise on Facebook and billions and billions and billions of dollars get spent on public persuasion. This is why in politics, you should always be really skeptical if someone tells you that something is popular or it's unpopular outside of the context of an election or a referendum. Because the question you always need to ask isn't how popular is this thing right now? But how popular will this thing be after billions or tens of billions of dollars have been spent arguing the case on both sides? And that depends a lot on the public's susceptibility to various messages and how skilled the candidates and the campaigns are at crafting and delivering those messages. And what we've seen, I would argue, over the last few years is that the Democrats have a really good message. And I mean good not in terms of that I you know, Andy, the podcaster, like it, but I mean that it has a proven track record in the last three years of convincing voters. Democrats performed extremely well in the midterms last year. They performed extremely well one week ago in these mini midterms that took place with elections in 40 different states up and down the nation. And there's a lot of evidence to show that when the Democrats focus on a message of maintaining abortion rights, maintaining American democracy and strengthening the economy, that they are beating Republican candidates up and down the nation. When that message is deployed on behalf of Biden, backed up by millions and millions of dollars of advertisement and spending and persuasion, there's good reason to think that that message is going to work for him as well. The message that Democrats have essentially been running on in these recent state and local elections is one of opposition to the extremism of the Republican Party. That's also the message that worked for Biden in 2020. He ran on this idea that he was going to save the country from Donald Trump's authoritarianism and his populism, and it worked for him, and it's been working for Democrats since. So when the Biden campaign really gets underway, I think that we will see the needle start to move. Now, I guess then I've, I've given some reasons to be optimistic. There are also some reasons to be pessimistic. So probably first and foremost among these is that Biden is just a lot less popular than he was, you know, three years ago. And there's no getting away from that. And I think that even though in the election campaign, the contrast will start to make Biden look more favorable, there's got to be some political penalty that he pays for the fact that he is just so much less popular than he was four years ago. He has pretty low approval ratings. They've been sometimes lower than Donald Trump's approval ratings were at this point in his presidency. Biden is perceived to have a real age problem. And that age problem also isn't helped by the fact that he doesn't seem to be planning to run a very energetic campaign. It's very, very difficult to campaign to be president. It involves flying to lots of different places, giving lots of different speeches, undergoing lots of different stresses. And Biden has to campaign at the same time that he is president. And it's a big, big advantage that Donald Trump has that all he has to do is campaign. And I guess he also has to avoid going to prison. This kind of equalizes it a little bit because Donald Trump is also dealing with two really big things at once. But no, even undergoing those criminal trials is not the same as running the country, running the government amid all kinds of foreign policy crises and, and domestic issues and campaigning at the same time. And I think we can expect to see quite a lot of criticism from the media that Biden will be perceived as not really having many press conferences, not really giving many speeches. And that's going to feed into this narrative that he's too old and he's not really up for the job. 
right? So those two things, Biden's plummeting popularity and the age problem. And I mean, you know, if there's one thing that is a certain fact about American politics, it's that Joe Biden is only going to get older. He's not going to get any younger. These are, you know, these are serious problems for him. So I think that what my takeaway from this is, is that I don't think that right now you can look at the current state of the polls and say that this is reflective of where we will be a year from now. And I think that there are good reasons to think that that situation will get better. But then there are also, you know, reasons to be skeptical and and reasons to doubt a little bit, you know, how well Biden is going to deal with this. So I think we're just in a situation of uncertainty. A lot of it for me depends on how Donald Trump is behaving how his criminal trials go, whether he really has lost his mojo, which I think he has lost his mojo a little bit. I think that he's even more unhinged and he's even more incoherent than he was eight years ago and that that is going to harm him. But we don't know, I think, which way this election is going to go. And it's just a fact of modern American politics that elections tend to be decided by a very, very small number of swing voters in swing states. So they're very unpredictable, especially one year out from them happening. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to dive a bit more into those election results from a week ago and what they might tell us about the next year in American politics. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. So one week ago was the event that I call Super-ish Tuesday. It's the set of off-year elections which takes place the year before the presidential election. There are elections in 40 different states, so those were things like governorships and state houses. Also local elections, things like mayor, city council. There were some important referendums on particular policy issues. And the main takeaway from this set of elections was that the Democrats actually had a fantastic night. So Andy Beshear, who was the Democratic governor of Kentucky, won another term as governor of Kentucky. He significantly improved his margin of victory over last time. Democrats won a key state Supreme Court race in Pennsylvania. That's a key swing state, and if you remember at the last presidential election, there were various challenges to the integrity of that election result, and some of them went to state courts. So it matters that Democrats have solidified their control of the court in this key swing state. Democrats also took full control of the Virginia state legislature. Now, Virginia is a solidly blue state, so on the one hand, that might not seem too surprising, but because many of the local districts in Virginia have the same kind of demographic composition as the major swing states in presidential elections, this is also a really good sign of strength for Democrats. It shows that they're still performing well among swing voters in the suburbs. Also, there was a key abortion rights amendment in Ohio, which passed by a large margin. It made it incredibly difficult for Republicans to try to reduce abortion rights in Ohio. And the national takeaway from that is that abortion rights still remains a really, really motivating issue for a big 
chunk of voters. Ohio is pretty much a red state now. It's not really very swingy. So the fact that abortion rights still have big support, even in red states, is a really good sign for Democrats next year. There was one disappointment a week ago. This was kind of a funny one. You might not have heard about this, but Brandon Presley, who is actually Elvis Presley's cousin, was running for governor of Mississippi. And he lost that race. That's not really particularly surprising because Mississippi is a very, very red state. But it would have been really cool if a cousin of Elvis had become the Democratic governor of Mississippi. And Brandon Presley is also a really, really inspirational and a really good politician, I think. And, you know, it's a shame that Democrats still struggle so much in the South. And I think if he'd won, it would have been a real sign that Democrats were starting to claw their way back into the South a little bit kind of building on that win that Biden had in Georgia in 2020. So these were this was a good night for the Democrats. There's absolutely no other way to frame what happened. But I think the takeaway for next year is not quite as simple as you might think. Because if Democrats are performing so well in state and local elections, but Biden himself is so unpopular and, and has such low approval ratings, then you can take that as a good sign, kind of like I did in the first half of this episode where I said, well, once this message gets deployed on behalf of Biden, as opposed to on behalf of these state and local candidates, then Biden's going to start benefiting from that as well. But it does kind of raise the question of why Biden isn't currently benefiting more from this general pro-democratic tilt in the electorate. There seems to be a disconnect between what voters think of their local and state democratic candidates and what they think of Joe Biden. And that's potentially bad news for Joe Biden. In 2020, Biden was doing better than the average Democrat. You know, so in places like Georgia, Biden won the state of Georgia but then many Republicans won races for Congress within Georgia. And what that tells you is that these were voters who were probably generally Republicans. They were voting for Republican congressional candidates, but they swung over to Biden for the presidential election because they didn't want Trump to remain in the White House. Currently, the state of what's happening is that people are voting for Democrats at the local level but they're skeptical of Joe Biden. So it's kind of the reverse of the situation which existed in 2020. And it's potentially worrying for Biden if that can't be turned around in the way that I talked about in the first half of the episode. I think though that just another general point to make is that these results were, 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 were so good that they are going to just kind of nip in the bud any idea of getting rid of Biden at the top of the ticket. If Democrats had completely bombed last Tuesday, people would have started questioning then should Biden even be our candidate going into the next election. But the fact that the party as a whole is doing well means that Biden's position is safe. He's going to be the Democratic candidate next year unless some, you know, horrible event happens in the interim. But there is this nagging worry that he might not actually do as well as his party is currently doing. A final takeaway from these results is that we need to be really cautious about looking at what happens in midterms or in this kind of off-year election, and then thinking that the same thing is going to happen in presidential elections, because just different electorates turn out for 
different types of elections. Presidential elections tend to be really, really mobilizing. They see really high turnout. Both sides throw everything they've got at getting their voters to the polls. Whereas in off-year elections, there's less money involved, there's less media coverage, there's less mobilization. So the type of person that goes to the polls is different. And increasingly in recent years, we've seen the off-year elections are favoring more and more the Democrats because voters who are higher educated and voters who are more highly engaged and knowledgeable about politics are more likely to turn out for these off-year elections. Now, the Republican Party's coalition is increasingly based on a base of less educated voters, and they turn out for Donald Trump, but they don't necessarily turn out for, like, someone who's running for the Virginia State House because they're just not as aware of that election. Donald Trump isn't on the news every day telling them that, you know, how they vote in this election will determine the future of the country and whether it gets destroyed by the liberals, etc., etc. So there's different mobilization dynamics that are at play for different types of election. And we have to be careful to looking at something like this and then thinking the same thing will happen in a presidential year. I think also that this, something that's increasingly apparent to me is that many people on the left think that higher turnout will always benefit the Democrats. They think that most disaffected voters, most people that don't vote very often, that kind of are tuned out from politics, are natural Democrats. I really don't think that that's true based on the evidence of the last eight years or so. Trump has managed to mobilize many people who had previously not voted or not voted for a long time and got them to vote for him. So, 2020 saw some of the, you know, absolutely bonkers turnout levels on both sides. And that shows how the election was really seen as an existential clash over the future of the country. On the right, it was seen that way because Donald Trump is seen as this almost messianic figure who and he alone can save the country from destruction from the liberals and hordes of immigrants and all this kind of stuff. On the left, it was seen as having existential stakes because Donald Trump had just spent four years in the White House engaged in racist and authoritarian rhetoric and actions that worried a lot of people. It's very likely that 2024 is going to see a similar clash of values, a similar existential clash over the future of the country, and that is going to be high highly mobilizing on both sides. There are still a lot of people who really, really fervently believe in Donald Trump and the MAGA movement, and they are likely to turn out in huge numbers. What might be a bit more difficult, and this is again a, a point of pessimism for the Democrats, is that Joe Biden tends not to inspire that kind of fervent support and enthusiasm, even among his base increasingly, it seems. And it may be that after four years of Donald Trump being in the White House, many voters saw lots of reasons to turn out and oppose him and see that election as very important. But if now, four years later, Donald Trump hasn't been in the White House, it's not so kind of foremost in their mind how chaotic and horrible things were under Donald Trump, that could be a bit of a turnout problem for the Democrats. So I think that the Democrats' best hope is to really, really make the public remember who Donald Trump is and remember how dangerous 
he was from America. And all of these criminal trials that Donald Trump's going to be involved in next year will help them to make that case. And voters are going to be reminded every day during those trials of exactly the kind of, of things Donald Trump did, like being careless with national security information, like with, you know, the small matter of trying to overthrow American democracy on January 6th. So the turnout dynamics, the enthusiasm dynamics, these are going to be really important next year. And these off-year election results don't really let us measure those things. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of America Explained. I hope you found it both fun and educational. If you found it at least one of those things, if not both, please consider checking out our free newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes. About twice a week, you get updates on US foreign policy and politics the kind of issues that we dive into on this podcast, but you just get it a little bit more regularly and in a form that you can skim over your morning coffee or secretly at work rather than having to listen to a podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to talking to you again next time. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.